going to read the Bible reading for us this morning, and it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps and you'd like to open that, I'll be reading the whole of that chapter. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the eye, minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and yourselves and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though inwardly we are wasting away, yet, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal.
Hello. I think I'm on the air. Right. Why don't we just um, pray first. Our Father God, just bless us as we hear your word. Speak to each of our hearts where we need to be spoken to meet us. In Jesus' name, amen. Just checking. So how do I make this go like this? Yeah. So it's been nearly 24 years since Princess Diana died in a car crash in Paris being pursued by the paparazzi. Many people here, maybe all of you, could probably tell me exactly where you were and what you were doing when they heard this news. In the wash-up of this tragedy, the behaviour of the media was scrutinised. From the time that Lady Diana became the known girlfriend, then fiancé, then wife of Prince Charles, up until the time of her death, you could say that she was chased mercilessly by reporters, journalists, photographers and other media hacks. The relentlessness of their pursuit was oppressive and ultimately fateful. On another tack, in the years 1878 to 1880, the acknowledged inventor of the original light bulb, Thomas Edison, and his associates worked on at least 3,000 different theories to develop an efficient, efficient incandescent lamp. He tested more than 6,000 different materials to use as filaments in these lamps. He recognised that this work was tedious. He wrote, The electric light has caused me the greatest amount of study and has required the most elaborate experiments. I was... I was never myself discouraged or inclined to be hopeless of success. I cannot say the same for all of my associates. Genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Edison was single-minded and persistent and tenacious, a great example of relentlessness. If we fast forward to the 31st of December 2019, from China, the Wuhan Municipal Health Commission reported a cluster of cases of pneumonia in Wuhan, Hubei province. A novel coronavirus was eventually identified, which was named SARS-CoV-2, and it's this virus, of course, that causes the illness COVID-19. As we have all experienced, everywhere in the world, there is a relentlessness about COVID-19. Just when countries think they've got it under control, it breaks out again. As uh, numbers of cases globally continue to increase, I think 173 million now, globally. Um, and in April this year, new positive cases globally topped 900,000 in a day. Since November 24, the average daily deaths have been greater than 10,000. Um, as we mentioned before, seeing in the news, the numbers in India have been huge, although it looks like it may have passed its peak. In Australia, of course, we've been cocooned from the worst effects of COVID-19 and have been fortunate that community transmission has been virtually suppressed. But the fragility of this situation has been shown up again by the current clusters of COVID-19 uh, in Melbourne. 
moving around Sydney after we got out of hotel quarantine and then travelling around New South Wales, we've been amazed at the normalcy, the normality of life here. Yet, the signs of COVID-19 are everywhere, aren't they? Everywhere. QR codes for checking in. Signs on the floor and pathways of where to stand. Hand sanitizer everywhere. Talking to shop assistants or office workers behind perspex screens. Uh, thermo guns to check your temperature before entry into some buildings, like hospitals, for example. Um, every second chair in waiting rooms marked, you know, please, please keep vacant. Uh, barriers and detours to prevent free flow of people in, through and around public spaces. It is unremitting. It is oppressive. It is relentless. When we were preparing to go to Nepal in 2019, we had the opportunity to visit you here at Glenbrook Baptist. And we shared from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just like we're doing today. But we, that, at that time, we focused particularly on verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power, power is from God and not from us. And then we centred our attention on the important message that God is at work in the world and we are merely containers carrying the message, mere jars of clay. True for us, true for you, wherever and whenever we are in this world. You've just seen our short video giving an overview of Okaldunga Community Hospital. It gives you some idea of the extraordinary work and service that's happening in a relatively remote rural area of East Nepal. A committed staff of some 140 people, a history of 59 years of practical witness to the gospel of Jesus, a demonstration of God's love for humankind day in and day out. And Sally and I have been privileged to be part of this Okaldunga Community Hospital is helping the United Mission to Nepal's vision of fullness of life for all in a transformed Nepali society, a vision based on the abundant life of John chapter 10, verse 10. And time and time again over these past two years, Sally's and my attention, our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our very selves have been pulled back to this chapter in 2 Corinthians. So we're going to dip back into it again today. Now the NIV entitles this chapter uh, Present Weakness and Resurrection Life. Now I prefer to call it Resurrection Living in Jars of Clay, but the point's the same. Even though we have the power of Christ's resurrection, his conquest of death, even the death of death, we are, in and of ourselves, weak. And I would hazard to say that all of us have felt like this many times throughout our lives. But Paul knows this, who wrote this letter, about himself and about the Corinthians to whom he's writing. He begins his chapter by saying, we do not lose heart. He finishes the chapter and says it again, we do not lose heart. Now, in the Nepali language, the expression used here is, we do not eat discouragement. We do not eat despair. That's a real gutful, emotional expression. So what is it that encourages Paul? You remember, he's writing this letter having experienced all kinds of mishaps and persecutions because of his faith. Let's look at verse 5. 
For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And notice Paul's focus. Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus is the message. It is not about us. It's not about a method or a program or rituals or a set of commandments. It's not about a set of doctrinal statements. It's about a person. Jesus Christ. Prince of Peace. Lion of Judah. Son of God. Saviour of the world. Whenever we think about what we do as church, whether it's here in Glenbrook, at Glenbrook Baptist Church, or in large mega churches in our cities, or small house fellowships continuing to meet in the looming shadow of COVID-19, or out in the relative wildness of East Nepal at Okuldunga, the message is the same. Jesus. Verse 7 is always an arresting verse whenever we read it. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We, as God's people in Jesus, are these very jars of clay. Useful, ordinary, unspectacular, plain, carrying God's abundant message, God's abundant treasure, the message of salvation in Jesus. In the book of Luke, in chapter 9, Jesus sends his disciples out on their first mission. And what does he send them out with? He sends them out with nothing. He's told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bread, no bag, no money, no extra shirt. You get the idea. The disciples had nothing to offer, only what they had in Jesus. In short... God calls all of us to his work. It is not our work. Now, two years ago, I called this verse the pivotal verse in this chapter, but this verse is not our focus this morning. Let's have a look at verses 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. In the past, whenever I read these verses, I always thought something like this. Isn't that encouraging? Paul and his friends, despite life's troubles, were not crushed, not despairing, not abandoned, and not destroyed. Wouldn't it be good to be like them? Wouldn't it be good to be so cheerful? Paul even encourages the Corinthians. Like I mentioned, he starts and ends this chapter by stating, we do not lose heart. A great example for us, but perhaps unattainable. But in recent times, a, a closer look at these two verses made me realise that there are four couplets here. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul's team were in fact hard-pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted and struck down. Does this sound familiar? What is life like for you? What's life been like for you? 
right now, regardless of which direction you look or move, are you feeling hard-pressed? Does it feel overwhelming? Do you feel like giving up? Do you need to make some decision but can't work out what to do? Are you confused? Are you afraid to make any decision in case you make the wrong decision? Being perplexed is an awful feeling. What about persecution? Being bullied at work or school or college? Maybe being hassled because you go to church? What about sexual harassment? Or are you lying face down in the dirt, having been floored by some life event that struck you down? Illness, loss of employment, loss of a close family member, failure of any kind in relationships, in studies, in work life, in your thought life, in your mood, or in your reaction to others. Are you crying out in your heart, God, where are you? God, fix this. I've had enough. When I was a kid, a movie was released in 1966 called Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. Ever felt like that? In these two verses, I reckon, Paul taps into the very essence of being human. Although we don't desire it, we expect that life brings suffering we don't desire it, but we expect to experience pain and we know this because we love a man of sorrows. And for the past two years, Sally and I have experienced cross-cultural shock like we've never experienced. We've experienced the, the apparent silence of God, unanswered prayer, physical illness, disappointment, dying babies, Severely deformed babies. We've met people who have attempted suicide. We've experienced unmet expectations, staff unrest and complicated births. We've witnessed the results of significant physical trauma, family and domestic violence and embezzlement. We've met people trapped in the cycle of poverty or working in mind-numbing jobs, or living hand-to-mouth, not knowing where their next meal will come from. And all of this, together, has caused us to wonder what we were doing there, in Okaldunga. And then along came COVID-19. It upended our world, and it ground the country to a halt. The pressure was relentless. My prayers working in the hospital a year ago were something like this. Oh God, please don't let this baby die. And the baby would die. Oh God, please make it less busy today. And that day would be busier than ever. Oh God, give me wisdom in this situation. And I'd do something that I regretted later leading to complications in treatment. It was perplexing. In October last year, Asta, our youngest and least experienced doctor, Okuldunga was her first medical job and she'd been with, been with us just two months. She got news that her mother in Kathmandu had suddenly become seriously ill and had been admitted to intensive care. Of course, we let her go into Kathmandu, that's an eight-hour trip, despite it being her duty that day. 
It was the festival period and our doctor numbers were very low. And I said to God, it is already so difficult working here with the constant clinical problems and the threat of COVID. Why did you let this happen? I just can't believe it. And I thought to myself, it just can't get any worse. The next day, we received the news that Asta's mother had died. She was only 50. We were heartbroken for Asta. And I was shattered inside. It was awful. Despite all these difficulties that Paul was describing, he wrote this letter to encourage the Corinthians. Look at verse 15. The purpose of all this, he says, is that grace is reaching more and more people, causing thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. In the Nepali language, the main meaning in a sentence is put at the end. It finishes with the verb. So when I'm listening to someone speak, I'm somewhat at a loss until I get to the crunch word at the end. And then when I hear that, I then have to sort of work back through the sentence to work out what they said. It can be a bit tricky. Now verse 15 is a bit like that. See how it ends? To the glory of God. The point, the purpose the main aim, the overarching objective of all that occurs, of everything in this life on earth, is that God's grace is extending to more and more people, which causes a continuing outpouring of thankfulness so that God may be glorified. It's not about us. It was never about us. It's about God's glory and kingdom. So yes... God is to be glorified. But what is this thing called grace? We've already had it mentioned in the songs that we've sung and the prayers that have been prayed. The word translated grace in the New Testament comes from the Greek word charis, which means favour or blessing or kindness. Grace is God choosing to bless us rather than curse us as our sin deserves. He offers us forgiveness, reconciliation, abundant life, eternal treasure, and his Holy Spirit. I've just read Weakness is the Way by J.I. Packer. Here's a quote from the book. It has been truly said that in the New Testament the doctrine is grace and the ethic, that is the prescribed behaviour, is gratitude. And the gratitude is prompted by both the knowledge of the grace of God in one's head and the power of that grace in one's heart with Christ as the centre of attention at all times in both. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Also from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Giving to God should ever express unending gratitude for almost unbelievable grace, says J.I. Packer. Over the past few months... I have come to understand something about God's grace that I didn't understand beforehand. Verse 15 simply says, grace is reaching more and more people. It is not saying grace is for some people and not for others. 
It is not saying grace is able to reach more and more people. It is not saying grace is a handy little pep pill for your life when you're feeling depressed or down to be taken as required. No, it is saying grace is reaching more and more people. This is something that is present continuous. It was happening in Paul's day. It has continued to happen all throughout history. It is happening right now as we speak around the world and it will continue into the future. As I thought more and more about this, I realized that there is a relentlessness about grace. A relentlessness about grace. It is persistent. It is tenacious. It will not go away. It keeps on coming at us. It never wearies. It is God saying, it doesn't matter what life is throwing at you at the moment. I will continue to bless you, support you, love you, care for you, protect you, even if you rage against me. Give up on me. Turn away from me or persecute my followers. I do this, says God, because I love you without strings attached, unreservedly, completely, and in abundance. You heard last week here in this church, Adrian preached from Genesis chapter 6 to 8 about the story of Noah. Because of the sinfulness of humankind, the sinfulness of humankind had devastated the earth. In judgment, God decreed the end of all life. Listen to these verses from Genesis 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. As we know, God sent a flood to destroy all life. But in his grace, he planned a way to save life from extinction through Noah and his family and the ark that Noah built. God says to all of us, I have given my only son Jesus to die in your place take the punishment for your sin and if you trust in him as your Lord, I welcome you into my forever family. As J.I. Packer says, this grace is almost unbelievable. Grace is unexpected, it's undeserved and from our human perspective it's also unfair. It's for everyone. Regardless of how bad or unworthy you think you are, grace is there for you. In this sense, grace is relentless. Last year, in the depths of what at times felt like despair, I would have described my faith journey as feeling like just clinging onto God with my fingernails. Below me was this yawning chasm if I lost my grip, I would fall to a certain death. I felt unprotected, like a tightrope walker walking unsteadily on the high wire with no supports and no safety net. It all depended on me for my survival. 
and I didn't trust myself. However, in ways that I can't fully explain, over the last four months or so of our time in Nepal, God blessed us through deepening friendships with our Nepali colleagues, a realisation that he is at work at Okulunga Hospital, and most important, that the work is not dependent on us. As I reflect on that now, I realise that the tightrope walking really was happening. But there was a safety net there all along. God's relentless grace. And I came to realise that only in recognising our own weakness and leaning into God, knowing that we were not indispensable, would we see and experience God's healing. And my prayers changed. It was no longer, God do this, or God do that. Or God, make this right. Or God, don't let this happen. Rather, it simply became the same prayer every day. Oh God, give us the resources that we need today. And so too for Paul in this chapter. In verse 18 he writes, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal may God open all our lives to see what he's doing in this world my prayer is that we would all experience the relentlessness of God's grace if any of you are here today is struggling with life feeling alone feeling hard pressed perplexed persecuted or struck down and would like to talk with someone, please do talk with someone. Um, I'm sure Adrian would be happy to talk with you. Uh, or maybe you could talk with someone with whom, you, whom you're with or, or know. Um, you come and talk to me. God is offering you his grace. Let's pray together. Living God, our Father, you are the almighty creator of the cosmos and you hold this home world of ours, planet Earth, in the palm of your hand. Despite the difficulties and struggles that we endure in life, despite the constant wounding of people by people, and in the midst of a global pandemic, your grace is relentless. It does not give up on us. It is offered to all of us. It disregards all the status symbols of every society and declares that every single person is created in your image and every single person is the object of your love. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a picture of just before moonset at Okuldunga. The cycle of day and night is a reminder of the constancy of God. Let's not eat discouragement.